means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are discussing chapter 16, Mm -hmm. In the Hog's Head. And I am very excited, so excited, to have Anna back with us. Aw, thanks. Hi everyone. It's been a minute. Uh, You've been traveling all over the globe. Ah, that's been amazing. I've been mildly, somewhat, extremely jealous. We have you for a great chapter. And here's where I'm, I told you in our prep for this episode that I'm going to like, not really curveball, but I'm going to tell you something about this chapter. This is maybe one of my all time favorite Harry Potter chapters. I can respect that. And it's a chapter that um, I, I used to get into this habit of when I read a Harry Potter book and I would go back and read certain sections and I'd only read like certain chapters over and over and over again. Mm, I do that. And in the hog's head is one of those chapters that I kept going back to. And I think it's because I feel this is one of my, this is my favorite book in the series because I feel a connection to Harry in this. I, I understand. I know I've been very critical of Harry and a lot of different points in this book. Like, you call him stupid a lot. I don't like it. In the last chapter alone, <laughs> in chapter 15, I was like, can you not shut your mouth just one time? You know they're trying to antagonize you. That being said, I, I do I do understand his angst. I do understand his uh, feeling of everyone is against him. And everyone is, you know, you're putting that spotlight in such a negative tone and everybody starts staring at you when you're in the great hall and everybody's you know that that paranoia starts i understand that because i was once an awkward teen walking into a lunchroom and and even though no one was looking at me let's be real about it people are looking at him yeah. so like i well, understand he even the feeling has a line in this chapter about feeling like he's the freak on display yeah and i like how i think everybody can at some point in their life have a moment where they can relate to he does explain his angst a lot in this chapter i think a lot of people forget that especially on rereads is they forget what it was to be a teenager at 15 in this chapter i feel like it's a level of vindication almost a little bit and it's a level of him getting the spotlight in a positive way for once mm-hmm. uh, and we can kind of break into that because obviously There's a big meeting that takes place in this chapter at the Hogshead in Hogsmeade. And we will dive into all of it uh, because there's a lot there. But that's kind of my background with this this chapter. And I actually love it a lot. Uh, So we start off with things going very, very well. Harry's finished his detentions with Umbridge. Uh, Ron is not getting yelled at as much during Quidditch practice. (laughs) Uh, all three of our trio are starting to vanish their mice quite well. Hermione's upgraded to kittens. Yeah. How, so how do you feel about vanishing spells? Like, where do they go? 
Do they just disappear forever? Do they go to an alternate dimension? Okay, I feel like this is actually one of my favorite moments in the movies because I feel like there's a moment where Maggie Smith is literally trying to explain where vanished objects go. And I would love to be in that class to understand that. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of creepy. It's a little weird. And then especially when you're sending parts of those things, like when they're not getting it just yet. And then they're sending like... Do they bring them back after they vanish them? I have no idea. I know. And you're talking about like actual animals. You're not just talking about like a Maybe quill. it's like the prestige. Maybe there's like some hill somewhere where all of the kittens and all of the mice that they have vanished just go to be with Hugh Jackman's top hats. Yep. Let's, let's do that. Let's yeah. take that. And uh, Hugh Jackman's part of the Harry Potter multiverse. I like it. I'm down. <laughs> so... Uh, we do get, obviously, one of the big bombshells at the end of last chapter is Hermione posing the question, would Harry be interested in teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts classes? And Harry admits to himself, like, you know, actually, I've kind of been starting to plan these lessons out as I've thought about, like, what it has taken for me to get through some of these events. And then <laughs> Hermione... Just let's, you know, a casual little name drop. <laughs> I go like, oh, you know, Victor always said you were better at some things than him, even though he was in his last year at Durmstrang. What did Vicky say? Yeah. Ron <laughs> has that. a very uh, specific reaction to her name drop. Oh, God, I love Ron Weasley so much. Uh, it's it's <laughs> He gets very, like, snarky and snippy, like, out of nowhere. Does. He out of from, nowhere. Well, he goes from zero. Quote, unquote. He goes from zero to 100 real quick. Of, I mean, like, that yeah. is Ron Weasley when it comes to Hermione Granger. It's fair. He's just like, yeah, I'm enjoying this kind of, wait, what? <laughs> you know? It's Aside so... from the whole Ron and Hermione of it all, which I do love. I do think it was actually really smart of Hermione too, which I don't think she was purposely doing this, but it's a good um, kind of outside example for Harry to hear because it's somebody Harry likes, somebody Harry respects. Mm -hmm. So for Harry to hear that, I feel like it is a good extra little nudge. Like Like you said, he's already considering it, but I feel like it's a smart extra little nudge to make him feel more comfortable with the idea of him being this teacher. And I I think it's, We've talked about in Goblet of Fire how all of the Triwizard champions kind of ended up forming, Mm -hmm. if not a friendship, at least a level of common respect amongst all four of them, Mm -hmm. Harry included. And I think that's very... uh, Obviously, Fleur developed it more post-Task 2 when um, Sister was saved. Cedric and Crumb specifically had more personal interactions with Harry Mm -hmm. that were like, you know, you're actually pretty good. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Diggory obviously knows a lot more about Harry having been at school with him, but Crumb, I always go back to that moment in the, uh, by the edge of the forest where he's like, you know, you're actually a pretty good flyer. Yeah. And how cool that is. I loved it. And, but that's a moment of, I think each one of them had their moment of like, you know, should you be in here? Maybe, maybe not. But I think you've earned your spot. I think there's not very many 14 year olds who I think would have been able to actually do what Harry did in the Triwizard Tournament. Well, and and I know you're all about 
giving Harry his props when they're due. Not only did he get through the tournament, the first task of the tournament is the one that he did the most on his own. I know Moody kind of like, or Crouch, Crouch Jr. nudged him in the direction of like, you're good at flying, right? You're, you can fly. And that's fine. But he still did it on his mm-hmm. own. Like that's the actual true. accomplishment is of his own. Yeah. And that was the first one. Yeah. That's right out the gate. So I think that impressed a lot of people and went like, oh, you're capable. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. We see you. We see you, Harry Potter. All right. He's special. He's a very special boy. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's cool to to get a Victor Crumb A mention, but B a complimentary kind of thing. I'm glad they're still pen pals. <laughs> yes, pen pals. <laughs> okay, Ron. <laughs> they have this plan of going to a location of Hogsmeade that's private to have this meeting. So Hermione has designated the Hogshead Pub mm. as the location for this meeting. And can we just start <laughs> off with the fact that they describe the sign in detail? where it's a severed hog's head on a cloth, and there's blood pouring onto the cloth. Which, for reference, if you're reading the book along with us, that's the illustration at the beginning of the chapter. And you can see the blood outlines on on the background of it. It's interesting. I would like to just state that our trip to the Hogshead pub in the Wizarding World, it was a wonderfully clean environment. Yes, it was. It so had was. wonderful drinks. It had Dead. wonderful food. Lovely bartender. Lovely bartender. Yeah. Who I you know I won't say the circumstances of my visit. <laughs> which I forgot about that. Anna is just now remembering. <laughs> she was a lovely bartender who I'm very thankful for. I will say this though, seriously about the Wizarding World Hogshead. Behind the bar, they have an actual like yeah. Hogshead mm-hmm. plaque that moves. Minus blood. Minus blood, yeah. but it's still a really cool it looking It is very cool piece. moves, like you said. Yeah. And don't forget the secret menu. Secret menu is... A, okay. That's what we ordered off of, too, right? And you did. Yeah. I got one of the the park-specific beers. Oh, okay. It was good. I liked all of the secret menu stuff there. Honestly, I enjoyed everything we drank there. That's true. It was a good trip. It was a good trip. <laughs> anyway, this hogshead in the chapter... Not as clean and friendly. No. No. Um, I think I put it in my notes. I would not describe this bar as clean. No. I don't think anybody there would describe it as clean. It's described as Harry thought it was an earthen yeah. floor until he realized it was just years upon years of filth that has accumulated on the floor. The bartender's actually cleaning glasses with the dirty rag and further dirtying the glass. Flitwick is mentioned to yes. have yeah. recommended they bring their own glasses for the pub. Like, Why yeah, does anyone go fine. here? Well, we get some interesting clientele. We do. That's true. Fair we, enough. We get a man covered in bandages. Yeah. Gray bandages. Yeah, odd. Sounded a little gross, yeah. Definitely odd. And then we get a witch in an all-black veil as they enter, which 
just the clientele alone. Well, and then there were the two people talking to each other with their Yorkshire accents, but that was the only reason Harry didn't think they were Dementors, because they had the cloaks. Oh, on. they were cloaked yeah. in the corner, yeah. yeah. Um, Just on the clientele alone, I'd be like, this is an odd place. This is a little weird. But, you know, whatever. Hermione chose it, so... It must be good, right? I mean, she made sure to find out they're allowed to go there, so, you know. <laughs> I'm sure the barman was like, I'm sorry, there are kids here? <laughs> Why? And then Ron goes like, you know, I bet you that barman yeah. would give me a fire whiskey. You are a prefect. Fine. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> God, I just love Ron and Hermione. So, Hermione, how many people did you exactly invite to this thing? Quote, just a couple of people. Just a couple. When I did the full count, and you did it too for your... It's a lot more people than I think I really realized. Yeah. yeah. Including the trio. Yeah. 28. Yeah. Like, that's definitely... It's like a full class size. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I will do I'm this rundown. i they had enough butterbeer for them all. Right? Uh, also, it seems like those glasses have been there for a while. No one's ordering butter beer no, at, at this particular not, establishment. No. But anyway, uh, I will run down this list very quickly because it is a hefty list. We got Neville, Dean, Lavender, Parvati, and Padma. We get Cho with her friend, who's unnamed at this point. We get Luna, Katie Bell, Alicia Spinett, Angelina Johnson, that Katie, Alicia, and Angelina are all Quidditch members. We get Dennis and Colin Creevy. Yes. We get Ernie McMillan, Justin Finch-Fleshley, uh, Hannah Abbott, uh, an unknown Hufflepuff girl that we later find out is Susan Bones. Yes. Uh, so there's your Hufflepuff crew. We get the Ravenclaw crew of Anthony Goldstein, Terry Boot, Michael Corner, uh, which I know Ooh, Cho yeah. and Luna are both Ravenclaws too. Yes, yes. And her and Cho's friend is Ravenclaw. But we'll set those apart from the Ravenclaw crew. And uh, so we get Ginny, Fred, George, and Lee Jordan. And I'm saving this one for last purely only because Anna has a whole thing on this <laughs> character. So I'm going to let her go in a second. But we get Hufflepuff Quidditch player, who is literally named Hufflepuff Quidditch player. <laughs> until I forget who. I forget if it's Ron. It's Ron. Or one of the, who are you? Who are you? And that who are you is Zachariah Smith. Mm, Anna, what are your opinions on Zachariah Smith? Well, okay. I like I feel like you're thinking it's gonna be super funny, but um previously I probably would have been really funny because I always thought Zachariah Smith was just a huge jerk and there for total comedic relief. But um as has been happening to a lot of us as we've been rereading for this podcast, as I was reading this whole interaction primarily between Ron, Harry, and, and Zacharias. I read it completely different than normal. And um, I was definitely a lot more sympathetic towards him this time around. Like, normally I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, what a jerk. Look at George pulling out this thing that they're going to not be picky about where they stick. Oh, this is so funny. But I was thinking about it, thought about it from a different angle this time. 
And literally, when you were just describing, as he was walked in, he was described as somebody Harry vaguely recognized as being from the Hufflepuff Quidditch team, who was captain of the Hufflepuff Quidditch team, Cedric Diggory. Mm -hmm. What is the one thing that he seems really determined to find out details from Harry about was how Cedric died, the details of what exactly happened to Cedric. And yeah, as you're reading it, you're totally right there with Harry. And like, I don't blame Harry for not wanting to talk about it. And it does really seem really macabre that like, why does this boy want the details of how Cedric died and how Cedric was murdered? And he just seems like, you know, this gossip hungry, wanting the details of this traumatic experience for Harry. And so like, obviously, teenage read through you're right there with the weasleys and defending harry but like what if this is just like him trying to process his grief like it's this unexpected death of his quidditch captain who we all like you were cedric's number one fan i think we all probably figure cedric probably gave him a lot of time maybe somebody that zachariah smith looked up to was friends with you know Quidditch camaraderie, maybe he's just trying to like, you know, one way to deal with an unexpected death is try to find out exactly the details. So maybe you can answer the how. Closure. Right. And yeah, a lot of times it doesn't actually end up happening, but it's something that people think will help. So maybe he's just literally trying to find out from Harry the how. So maybe he can think he'll understand and move on. Like, it, it kind of makes me wish for him that he could have maybe had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Harry. Again, I don't blame Harry for not wanting to go into the details of his awful trauma because I've been all about, like, you know, Harry's dealing with some trauma. But, like, I wish him, maybe we would, like, everybody would feel differently about Zacharias. I mean, like, he even, the only reason he was invited was because he basically invited himself when he overheard Hermione. Maybe that's been his goal all along. I have two thoughts. One, I was highly amused when you... <laughs> I know, I presented it like it was going to be really no, no, funny. No, no, It's just, that's not even what the funny part is. It's just, you... <laughs> when I reached out to Anna for this chapter, <laughs> and she read it, and she gets back to me with, I have thoughts on Zachariah Smith. <laughs> I was just amused there, period. <laughs> Why? Because I would expect nothing less from Anna. Oh, thanks, Dan. To come at me with a, <laughs> let's be real about it, a not even a tertiary character in this like lineup, like a fairly fringe character in this lineup. And Anna's bringing thoughts on it. And I'm like, I love that. I just love it to begin with. So that's why I'm amused. Number two, what may surprise some of our listeners who frequent the podcast, I actually quite agree with you, like 100%. I think it's a really astute observation that you're making in kind of the, the breakdown of what Zacharias's goal actually is. I think it's, I think you're right on. I think he probably had a very close relationship with Cedric. I mean, even if he wasn't on the Quidditch team specifically, he's at least in the same house. So he's yeah. had 
frequent interaction with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know I'm the Cedric you know, number one fan, as you called it, but <laughs> it, Cedric struck me as the kind of guy who, if someone was struggling with something mm-hmm. or or not, or just wanted to talk about whatever, he seems like the kind of guy that would be like, sure, what do you want to talk about today? Yeah. Um, kind of guy. So Icarus doesn't strike me as somebody who maybe has a lot of friends. I feel like maybe Cedric would have... <laughs> recognize that he's a very he okay he's abrasive he's aggressive abrasive is the perfect word and but to your point is he abrasive or does he just come off as abrasive in this particular moment and that's all you really get of him is this moment right right now so is he abrasive or is he just abrasive in this one snapshot again i've read this interaction I have no idea how many times at this point, never have had this thought. Literally, I'm always just like laughing at him being like, what, Jared, George, go stick that thing somewhere. But like, maybe it's just the difference between, you know, this is technically young adult fiction. Maybe it's just the difference between reading it when you're younger versus reading it as an adult that you notice more, think about these intricacies. I, I love it. I felt a lot more for him than ever before. I know. I, I love that take. I, I love it because I don't know how many people have really considered that. And I think it's certainly something you have to think about in his character. And so the lead up to him being so abrasive and, and Harry being abrasive back, honestly, and, and shout out to Ron for <laughs> being his wingman of being like, I'm sorry, who are you? Like, yeah, which I like totally love the response of the Weasleys. Like, he, Zacharias just chose his moment poorly. Yeah. If that's what's happening. Though, um, I will say this. If, if this is, if what you're saying is truly what's going on with Zacharias, I don't blame him for shooting his shot then. Agreed. Of no. being like, and, I know. and honestly, good for him because you would have to assume that most of the people here would be pro Harry Potter. Yeah. So to have the courage yeah. to shoot that shot in that moment when you are surrounded by Weasleys yeah. and you're surrounded by Hermione and Ginny and all of these uh, people that are pro Harry, it takes some guts yeah. to throw your actual opinion out there yeah. and want to get some answers. So this is way more positive Zacharias thoughts than I ever <laughs> thought right? we were going to get into, but I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, but he was, so why Harry ends up getting upset is because Harry's whole thing is, uh, going into this and he had this whole spiel planned about mm-hmm. hey this isn't a whole lot of me I've had a lot of luck I've had a lot of help which is something we've stated on the podcast I have stated on the podcast but he's not wrong and I love and I will give Harry all the credit in the world to acknowledge that it's literally he describes it as the thing he had sworn to himself he would tell them. that's an outstandingly mm-hmm. mature way of dealing with all of this to acknowledge like yes i have done those things but there were a lot of people helping me get there well and i know on the podcast we all laugh a lot about how he's always described as this very special boy but i think this is what actually makes him special like how many celebrity children like this would really recognize make a point to bring it up like harry the humble side of him is yeah. Is truly a special thing. Yeah. 
Zacharias is poking, 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 and um, here he's getting mad at Hermione about it. Of uh, like, of course, this is what this turned into. Oh. I'm front stage again, being asked questions that I don't feel comfortable answering, which he has the right to feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable about answering these questions. Agreed. And you know, then you can get into is Hermione right for kind of putting him on front street? Is she not? Is she like? I'm eh? all I I firmly believe this was a really great idea of Hermione's. She's right. They do need this is more important than owls. They need to be able to defend themselves. She firmly believes Harry. They all know what they're going to be going into in the coming years. They need this. And Harry is the person for it. It is unusual that Hermione did not foresee the fact that even the Weasleys are described as like looking at Harry waiting for maybe expecting a little more information about what went on at the end of Goblet of well, Fire. Well, they don't know everything. Exactly. Like, they the don't know all the people who know everything are Ron and Hermione. I almost can't blame them. Like, we're human. Like, wouldn't you be kind of interested about, like... Oh, sure. There's a natural curiosity for sure. Yeah. And, like, yes, you are wanting to go to learn defense and everything, but it it is something that you would have thought would have been foreseen that everybody's going to want to know what went on. And then we get to the, the part that I think really gets to why I love this chapter so much. It's not Ron or Hermione that list all of his accomplishments. It's the other students. It's his peers Mm -hmm. that start listing off all of the spectacular things that he's accomplished and that hits different. And it, as much as you love and respect and care for Ron and Hermione, it's like you almost expect them to be in your corner. Well, I feel like it almost puts it forth for us as the reader. Like we're so used to like, you know, we're reading from Harry's point of view. We're so used to him doing a Patronus at this point. Like, and I think, you've spoken with i think julie about like we don't really know what the normal level of magic is because we just get harry's perspective but hearing from his peers how big of a deal it is that he can do a patronus lee jordan is like odd it it hits different yeah it's not to say that their opinion ron and hermione's opinion doesn't matter to harry because obviously it does of course but when you just hear it from a neutral party that you weren't expecting it's it just hits different. Yeah. And it just like, oh, that's really good to hear. Mm-hmm. It calms you down. It makes you just generally happier, more relaxed. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of like settle into the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he, and then he even, he even tries. He was like, no, I'm going to say my bit. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And then he begins to say how he got a lot of help. And he's like, well, yeah, but you didn't really in the Triwizard Tournament. Like, you flew around that dragon. I mean, that was you. So He even says, if there are, like, things to himself, like, be stupid to try and deny that. I mean, it's like, well, now I'm just sounding contradictory. <laughs> if I'm like... And and Susan Bones is a big part of this because mm-hmm. with her uh, aunt, right? Her aunt. Her auntie. Yes, her. her, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Amelia was in the actual hearing, so she got all of this firsthand 
knowledge of the events of the summer. So Susan's like, I'm sorry, you fought off multiple Dementors? Like, that's a thing that happened? Uh, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of did that. Okay, all right. This is an interesting moment. I think it's that moment that kind of not validates a lot of what Harry's kind of been going through, but it kind of just is that moment of, I'm not crazy. Well, it's got to be good for him to hear that, like, because, you know, he's been struggling with Seamus and all these people doubting him about what went on in the graveyard and if people really believe him. It's not the first time that he's been on the outside of people's good opinion. The, this meeting didn't start very well with my boy Zacharias. Um, so <laughs> are we officially referring to him yes. as your boy Apparently, now? Apparently, yes. Done. I am going to do that. Done, and I love it. <laughs> um, but so, so your Hufflepuff is Zacharias and mine is Cedric Diggory. That's what we're writing with? I will proudly take Zacharias. Yes, you can have Cedric. I'll absolutely take Zacharias as my Hufflepuff. I love it. Okay. You, I prefer Tonks, but I'll take Zacharias okay. all for right, sure. All right, all right, all right. Um, but no, but like, so now for it to turn so suddenly and for him to get positive feedback, like you said, from people outside of his two best friends, it's it's got to kind of, it's like rubbing aloe vera on some, on some burns, you know? It's gotta be for him. Maybe that, what was it, Murlap Essence? He was soaking in. So we get to the actual, the, the parchment that Hermione has them oh, sign. I love this. And obviously, I think this is super realistic. Everybody's like gung-ho for it. Ernie McMillan specifically, like, mm. sets of speaking of Hufflepuffs. <laughs> you don't want to switch to Ernie McMillan? No. No, you're sticking? You okay, can have fine. Ernie. I never said I would. Never mind. We're not going to slander Ernie McMillan here today. Because he actually stands up and is like, no, I... This will be the most important thing we do this year. He, if, oh, my god! If Hogwarts had a drama club... <laughs> yes. Ernie yes. McMillan would be yes. right up there. Oh, I wish Hogwarts had a drama club. That would be so fun. Anyway, sorry. He, uh, he's a lot. But he, to his credit... He stands up and stands mm. with Harry and is like, no, I believe you. Uh, and yeah. he did this before, too, at, after Herbology. And was like, no, it's not only the, the crazy people like Luna. I also believe in you. And uh, But he stands up and says it again. Then Hermione brings this parchment that she wants all of them to sign. And now him and others are like, ooh, I don't know if I want my name attached to this. I'm a prefect. There's a lot I have on the line. I don't know if there should be evidence. Which, by the way, for the record, he does have a point. I was going to say, they're smart kids. Like, <laughs> they're not actually dumb. a really intelligent way of looking at this. It, it's a very well-reasoned approach, yes. Always be careful what you put in writing. Absolutely. Um, that being said, uh, Fred was the first mm, one to no put doubt. his name down, yep. followed by George. And Lee didn't hesitate either. Lee didn't hesitate either. And your boy, Zacharias, was the last one to there put his name was. down. He wanted to find out about the meeting from Ernie. 
It's okay. I forgive him. We get a little bit of Cho here in this in this setting. Harry mm-hmm. is pointedly not staring at her through his entire spiel. He's like, no, I'm going to focus on all of these other people. Oh, gosh. JK so, does such a good job of writing, like, teenage romance. She really does. She, she does. does. She does have an act for it. Obviously, Harry's avoiding her gaze because he'll clearly fall apart. <laughs> and it's adorable. But, um, you know, Cho has this moment where she, like, tries to stay behind for a little mm-hmm. bit before her friend, like, drags her out. Oh, we've all been there. <laughs> just a terrible wing woman i mean come on okay i actually don't understand why cho is friends with this girl but that's like oh like even just from this chapter i don't understand why cho is friends with this girl we could talk a little bit more about it in the spoilers yeah but uh i agree uh i think the fandom as a whole has a certain type of opinion of cho and i'm like i don't know if it's cho or if it's this girl there's some of it i mean i've changed I, I have lots of Cho opinions, and I'm they're all over the place. I have a Cho question but... for you then in the in the spoiler okay. uh, that we've discussed recently on a recent episode, and uh, I'll preface it now and say, because I'll give you time to think about it, because I'm throwing this on you like randomly now. <laughs> okay. Uh, what would happen, because Harry, when they meet in the Owlery, poses this question. It's Harry himself that poses the question. How things would have been different? If he had asked Cho to the Yule Ball before Cedric. Mm. So I'll let you marinate on that. We'll continue on with um, with the chapter. Speaking of dating and teenage romance, Ron finds out <laughs> that so his beloved little sister <laughs> is dating Michael Corner from Ravenclaw. Uh, yep. uh, he takes that... Uh, well, as far as Hermione's concerned, predictably bad. Oh, yeah. And he does not react well. I thought that Michael Corner looked <laughs> dodgy. <laughs> Hermione uh, also notes that, uh, going back to Cho for a second, that Cho couldn't keep her eyes off of you. Yeah, I mean, that's sweet of Hermione. Hermione tries so hard to get these boys to, you know, be successful romantically. My personal favorite part of all of their teenage romance discussion is when Harry has the little light bulb go on of that's why Ginny talks now. She never used to talk in front of me. It's like, yeah, Harry. Yeah. You're just not like, even Ron knew this. (laughs) Ron knew like, Oh yeah. I thought she always fancied Harry. Yeah. And Harry's like, wait, (laughs) I do love the quote that, that, Ends this chapter, though, Mm. of after Hermione tells him that Cho couldn't keep her eyes off of him, she goes, quote, or sorry, he he thinks, quote, never before appreciated just how beautiful the village of Hogsmeade was. Close. (laughs) End scene. Harry is, he's really sweet in. Very poetic, almost. His, yes, in his affection towards Cho like I think Harry would not be a good boyfriend because he's focused on so many like big world problem things but also when he's focused on his girlfriend Harry would be a really good boyfriend yeah I think so I think 
if he wasn't surrounded by death and destruction like exactly. every year. Yeah. Okay. Fair. That's fair. Like, his, he's so genuine. And because I think he's not capable of hiding any of his actual feelings. So it's just sweet. I like Harry. <laughs> you like the title character of the, of the yeah, series? Of my that's, favorite that's, series. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's I know, thing. right? fortunate <laughs> um unlike me and hunger games and not liking katniss oh my god katniss is awful I, okay so sorry we don't need to go on that tangent we, we don't need to go her. on that tangent but i do want to mention like <laughs> with your zacharias yeah. enlightenment that you seem to have had yeah. this chapter it almost does make me want to kind of reread the hunger games never and be like Ugh. do i like or understand where katniss is coming from no. more or do i still despise that character as a whole despise her i would assume so but now after reading this i don't think i can i don't think i can assume it but anyway we didn't read those as teenagers we were already kind of that's true adultish anyway we will end the non-spoiler conversation here and we'll be right back after a weasley is our king mention (laughs) uh with the spoiler section of chapter 16 in the hog's head Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, so we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 16 in the Hog's Head. And we have some stuff that we want to double back on from the non-spoiler section. I feel like you have alternative branding for the... Oh, yes! Okay, so spoiler section. Obviously, it's Aberforth. Yeah. We do get a comment from Harry that the barman looks vaguely familiar. He does, which Harry's really bad at making connections to Albus. Because, like, he didn't catch his voice in the beginning. Yep. Now we've got Albus's brother, who looks vaguely familiar. Tall, skinny, well-bearded, long-haired I am not a proponent for calling Harry an idiot. But, like... Sometimes In this he has particular subject matter, which obviously plot device, it's too early for us to find out this is Albus's brother. Right. But what I wish we would find out, like, I want a short story about where Aberforth's obsession with goats comes from. I mean, his Patronus is a goat. There's something with goats. Why is it the hog's head? I have ideas. The goat's horns. You know, instead of the hog's head, it can be the goat's horns. Okay. I just can't own a bar called the Hog's Head if he's obsessed with goats. Okay, so we can have a little Aberforth conversation here because it also ties into something else we kind of wanted to talk about. But Aberforth. Presumably, Aberforth is in on conversations going on. Yes. And part of the whole surveillance crew, I guess, of like, maybe not specifically Harry, but just like, let us know what you're hearing. Well, right. I mean, like, Dung is reporting to Sirius. Albus found out about this meeting from Aberforth. So, okay. So, I think. 
you and I have had some tinfoil hat down the rabbit hole kind of conversations. Yes. Here's my, here's my tinfoil hat okay. of how this all came to be. Because your original question to me in our break was, how does Mundungus mm. know that Harry's going to be having a meeting or Hermione's going to be having a meeting at the Hogshead this right, time? Right, because Dung is already there under his veil when they arrive. Correct. Yeah, just very briefly, <laughs> Mundungus is constantly vigilant of Harry yeah, okay. uh, as the veiled witch in the, in, in the black. <laughs> Uh, the other, the other one is the Umbridge informant. So the tinfoil hat theory I have with Mundungus somehow knowing that this meeting was taking place in the Hogshead. You ready for this? Yes. Hermione asks Flitwick about can they go to the Hogshead? Can students go to the Hogshead? Yeah. And I don't know how, this is where I guess it's uh, conspiracy theory tinfoil hat, is I don't know how involved Flitwick is in the Order. He's or, a member. Or the Order. Isn't he one of the ones that they kind of briefly viewed over the summer going in and out of the house? I thought it was just McGonagall and Snape. Maybe it was Flitwick. I don't know how involved he is in the Order. But if he's in the Order full on it. at this point, obviously he is later, but at this point in the proceedings... I would assume he is. I think right? he is. Yeah. I think they feel safe and confident enough. Julius is Legit. an ally. Yeah. yeah. So I think Hermione tells Flitwick, like, hey, is it cool if students go to the Hogshead? And Flitwick's not an idiot. And True. pieces together, like, hey, there might be something going on at the Hogshead. Okay. And Albus tells Aberforth, and, well, Aberforth, I don't know, do we believe that Monungus is officially banned? By Aberforth. <laughs> I mean, he must be. So maybe Aberforth is not pulled into the loop. Or. I think Dung is just sent. Maybe. So then, does Albus tell Sirius, like, hey, your godson <laughs> is about to have a meeting at the yeah. Hog's Head. And then Sirius tells Mundungus? Yes. To go and scout well, no, out the no, I think Albus tells Mundungus. Because I don't think... So Aberforth, you're just believing, is completely kept out of the loop. Yeah. Until, like, I feel like he would be brought into the loop. Because why, if, if Aberforth is brought into the loop beforehand, why would they also need to send Dung? Well, here's, here's the other issue is, <laughs> this is digging more into the spoilery nature of this conversation, but Aberforth isn't exactly a team player. Yeah, he's. So that's, a, I, I don't know that Albus would trust Aberforth to give him all of the details yeah, after the fact. He can be described as cantankerous at best. I know. That's that, why I like him. He's a little honorary with Dumbledore, <laughs> naturally, for reasons. Well, and Dung hasn't exactly proven himself the best either. Right. So maybe Dumbledore's Albus is just kind of, you know, like, eh, maybe if I put both of them there, I'll get the whole story between That's the two fair. of them. That could very easily be it. Dumbledore's hedging his bets. <laughs> He's like, one of them's going to tell me the truth somewhere. Or I'll be able to parse the truth together from both of their half-truths. Aberforth is one of those people that does not have any problems oh, telling Albus Dumbledore yeah. what he thinks. So, take that for what it's worth. But that, yeah, that's my little rabbit hole. Hermione to Flitwick to Albus to whichever one you want to know. See it. It makes more sense than anything else I can come up with. Yeah, 
let us know what you think about how that happened and Manungus just magically appeared at. What a rat, Phileas Flitwick. Ratting out the trio. But for good? <laughs> Not the greater good, but good. Yeah. Then how does Umbridge find out to send Willie Wittershins? Or did Willie Wittershins just happen to be there and offer it up to Dolores? Pure happenstance. Like, just random chance. I, I feel like it is. I feel like it might be pure happenstance. They're just Maybe, it was, maybe just... it was Dolores who did something to poor old Willie, and that's why he's covered in bandages. And he decided to just go to her so he wouldn't be hurt by her anymore. Or what if he just happened to be at the hog's head drinking, no. overheard this, knew he was in trouble. That's what I mean. And went to I think he Umbridge. already knew he was in trouble. I think she's the reason he's all bandaged up and he was in trouble. So he's trying to hedge his bets after he overheard this and went back to her. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it might be he well, he just happened to be there. He's an opportunist. Yes, yeah. I think that's the actual answer. He's the rat. You know who is a rat? Oh, how about this for a trans? Cho's friend. Oh, no, she's not a rat. She's a sneak. We got some certain vibes from Cho's <laughs> friend in this chapter. None of them pleasant. Uh, she did not want to be there, clearly. Clearly. And Cho dragged her to this. I don't know why. Because I don't, Cho is one of those girls who's incapable of doing something on her own. And I, I say that as a person who has come a long way in my views of Cho. I still don't. She's never going to be my favorite person. But I don't think that Cho is capable of going to something like this by herself. Well, okay. Uh, I, I will defend her a little bit on this. Is It doesn't even have to be female. It could be male, too. Sometimes you walk into an unfamiliar environment with unfamiliar people in a stressful situation. But these aren't unfamiliar people. Well. It's a stressful situation, I will give you. Well, that's the other part that I have to this. But to finish that thought is like, you feel more comfortable in said situation. Like, even if you were going to a party and you knew like 50% of the people at the party, but you didn't know like the other 50%, you feel more comfortable going with someone Do you, you really know. think? Marietta made her feel more comfortable in the situation with how clearly Marietta was against being there. I don't, I don't know the social hierarchy of the Ravenclaw common room. I think chose but, Queen Bee myself. But. Maybe. Well, but that goes to what you were leading into was: Does she know Terry Boot, Anthony Goldstein? How comfortable is she with Luna? Probably not very. No, she wouldn't be comfortable with Luna, but... Like, how how does she... Anthony Goldstein's a prefect. Yes. So, like, that would indicate well, that he's a... all the year younger than her, too. He's got to be a pretty high standing to be a prefect. You'd assume. Just because you're... Was Percy Weasley high standing? I don't think prefect automatically means you're... Super uh, cool. I would assume you'd give that to someone you think can lead. Somebody who can lead, but just because you can lead doesn't mean you're popular. Now we're getting into the definition well of a leader. I mean, like, I mean, that's like saying everybody who is ever like in any sort of authoritative position in high school was well respected for it. Like, I'm. I mean, I don't know about Anthony. I'm not trying to, like, knock Anthony Goldstein. He very well could be. I'm just saying. I don't know 
what relationship Cho has with the other Ravenclaws per se. And I don't know what their interactions are because we really don't have any information on that Ravenclaw social circle. But I, I, I do understand wanting to bring who you consider a friend to an event that you might feel uncomfortable at. I can too. I think my question about Marietta ended up being like, okay, so she comes to the initial meeting with Cho. And at that point, Cho maybe isn't as familiar with everybody, as comfortable with everybody. But as the DA progresses... And, you know, you really see that example of inner house unity. And I, in my mind, I imagine all of the DA becoming pretty close, you know, as they go through the year. Why does Marietta keep coming? You know what I mean? Like, she clearly never wanted to go to begin with. Just because you signed this paper, it wasn't a promise to continue to come. It was just a promise that you're not going to, like, shout about what the club is doing Mm -hmm. so like i guess i just never i'm obviously it's also a plot device somebody needed to be the sneak umbridge eventually needed to find out but i I just like i don't get marietta edgecombe and i don't get cho chang a lot of times either but well and that brings to the larger question of like what i asked at the beginning of Cho gets a lot of interesting reactions from the fandom. Doesn't her friend deserve a little bit more aggression? No. No, not not even a little bit? Her friend deserves more aggression than the aggression showed to Cho. That's all I'm saying. But (laughs) Cho deserves some aggression. I'm a lot more sympathetic to Cho nowadays than i ever was previously like girlfriend's got a lot going on and i could talk about that more in depth now or in future episodes as their time together progresses (laughs) not gonna call it a relationship even before so your question for me was going to be what was it that do what do i think would be different if harry had asked her before cedric Mm mm-hmm I don't think Cho was ever the girl that Harry Potter was going to fall in love with. There's enough about her. She's, you know, she's strong. She's good at Quidditch. There's enough about her that I I understand Harry's attraction to her. And it makes me like Harry that he's attracted to, you know, a strong woman like Cho. But Cho's not as strong. Like once you get to know Cho more, I don't think. She is the girl that Harry was going to be with long term. I, no, I, I could see that. But I guess where I start asking the question from is if Cho is more emotionally attached to Harry through book four, she doesn't have that necessarily emotional attachment to Cedric. Mm-hmm. Therefore, some of their dates through book five that we witness don't go that poorly necessarily. You could also say, I I would presume, and maybe this is just me, but I would presume Cho's determination to join the DA and get more involved in some of the things that go on with the struggle against Ombridge come from her desire to fight after 
Cedric being killed and being murdered. If she doesn't have that motivation, because like, yes, she would be affected by Cedric dying, but it's not obviously, like you said, she's not going to be crying and as emotionally distraught as she right. is through this book. Mm-hmm. If she hadn't started dating and had those feelings for Cedric. So then like you're saying like, that yes, those the dates don't, you know, involve her. Their first kiss isn't her like crying. Right. as She kisses Harry. But like also what else is there between like what else do Harry and Cho ever talk about other than Quidditch and Cedric? But they talk about the weather, Anna. They talk about the weather. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, if this is Harry at 15, if, if this started when he was 14, do they get past the first date even without Cho being an emotional wreck? Like, I, like, I, don't, I don't think it's Harry fair. was ready for Cho. That's... I just don't. Well, no, I, I do agree with you on that because their interactions so far seem like Harry... Well, it's nice weather. And then Cho's like, so that's good for Quidditch. Go on. <laughs> like, what else you got? Like, I, don't, I don't blame Harry. I don't think no, any I don't, of us no, were. No, I don't blame you. No. Oh, goodness. I know I no, no. was not great no, at 15. I, yeah, I'm, I'm just teasing and making fun. But yeah, of course. I don't blame Harry at all for, for being a little like, this really pretty girl that you like yeah. is talking to you. I'm blank. Like my mind has gone blank. <laughs> I, I, I fully understand where Harry is coming from, but it's just nice to like poke at him. No, yeah. for sure. And I don't know if I really answered your question, but I just, I think things would be different. I agree with you that I'm not saying it's a long lasting forever relationship. I think you're right. Things would be different. Yeah, of course. All right. So we will end the conversation here with all of the ship talk. Oh. What's Harry's Cho, Harry and Cho's ship name? I don't know. The first thing that popped in my head was Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's not right. That's not good. I, I can't think of anything else. Chatter? Chatter! Chatter! Yes! There Boom. it is. There it is. All right, I knew we'd get there. I knew we'd get there. We're going with chatter. <laughs> Which is uh, apropos, perfect. considering they can't talk to each other. Exactly. Exactly. It's perfect. So we will end it right here for another episode of Hogwarts a Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Anna and I talk about all sorts of things. Hashtag chatter. Hashtag chatter. Ridiculous. Molly will like it, though. I think Molly will be a fan. <laughs> it's always the goal. And uh, we will be back next week with Chapter 17, Educational Decree Number 24. So please uh, leave a like, comment, repost, share this podcast wherever you can help this podcast grow. We do have a support the podcast link uh, wherever you're finding this podcast to donate financially to the podcast. It's a lot of work to do these things. So it really helps us kind of keep this thing going. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a pod.